I just want to share a few words about what the kids shared with us. How many of you have ever looked for the perfect gift? That's quite a search, isn't it? I mean, you go to stores, and you, some people put a lot. That's right, hallelujah. Some, some people go to stores, and you really anguish over that. And if you've ever thought you got the right gift and given it to somebody, and you've seen by the look on your face that you missed, you realize that you probably should have done a lot better research. So what's the, what's the key to giving the perfect gift? Does anybody know what it is? Knowing the other person, that's it. You have to know the other person really well, and you have to know what they want. So if you get your wife an 18-volt drill, okay, you better know that that's something she wants. My wife wanted one, so I got it for her. But I, yes, she got it, cordless drill, that's right. And she, I actually got her one 10 years ago, and it wore out, and I just got her a new one. So I want to keep her working on our house. But... It's, it, everybody's different, and you have to find out what they want. You have to discover what it is about that person that brings joy to their heart. We've read the five love languages books, which finds out um, how people, what their love language is. Um, we were talking about that yesterday. We were washing dishes. Teresa was saying, your love language is the same as Janice, gifts of service. And I said, that's really awesome because it saves a lot of money. I don't have to buy Janice roses. I just wash the dishes. That's good. Are you picking up on that, Tom? You're writing these notes down? Good. Sometimes we have to do a little bit of research to find out. If you give gifts that are meaningful to you, but they're not meaningful to the other person, they often don't have the effect that you want them to have. Well, I started thinking about this when I read what the kids were going to do. I started asking the question, what kind of gift would God want? And can a person even give a gift to God? Do you think you can give something of meaning and worth to God? I think it's a good question. Uh, I think King David of Israel struggled with this. As a matter of fact, he was thinking about his own significance. He says in Psalm 8, 3, and 4, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? In other words, God, do you even think about us? I mean, how can you, how can you be interested in us? We're so small compared to who you are. He says, but... David wanted to give a gift to God. Remember what he wanted to do for the Lord? He wanted to build a house for him. That's kind of interesting because it's pretty hard to contain God in a physical structure, isn't it? We have places that are dedicated to worship, but we don't have places where God lives. As a matter of fact, when the church is done here today, the church will leave the church building, and the church will go out into the world to have an impact. So God lives in us. And uh, we got that right in the Christmas story this morning. The Lord lives in us. By the way, did you like that little movie? I love the skit guys. They're pretty fun. I think a lot of people struggle with what God wants from them. I think for some people, it's a list of things that they're supposed to do. And many people are guilty because they feel like they can never do enough. So God's unhappy with them. I don't think that's how it works. Some people think if I just go to church every Sunday... If I read the Bible, or if I read the Bible every day, if you say your prayers each day, if you give God enough money, if you do more good things than bad things, some people have this eternal scale in their mind, and they think, if I just do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, that I'll be okay with God. Can I tell you that obviously, if you know the scripture, that's not what God is all about. That's not the gift that he would want at all. The prophet Micah summed it up in the Old Testament when he was pondering this. 
And he says, O people, the Lord God has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. When he says that, you take, take note of that. What does the, the Lord require of us? He says to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So the Lord wants us to walk with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. Jesus makes it even more simple in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, he says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teachers of the law wanted to get Jesus all messed up on what God required of them. And they were thinking, by the way, there's not just Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. For the uh, Jewish law, if you think about the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law, all of those things together, I think there's 615 commandments. Do you know all of them? How many of you could ever keep those? Some of them were laws that governed how they worked in society. One of my favorite ones is a law that said you had to build a parapet around your roof. It sounds like, why would God want you to do that? Because people were falling off the roof all the time. It was a compassionate thing to protect your neighbor by having a wall around your roof. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, the Old Testament law is fulfilled in these two things, to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love your neighbor like yourself. Those two things sum up the law. So let's talk about this for a moment. God wants you is the real issue. If you want to know what God wants for Christmas, he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He doesn't want the things you can bring. Now, I'm sure he appreciates our expressions of love. You know, he, he appreciates the things that we do. But all the things that we do for God are nothing compared to giving ourselves to the Lord. And I think this kid said that very clearly today, that the Lord wants us. God wants us to love him. He doesn't want us to be religious. I am, I'm a recovering religious person. Many of you know that. Somebody said to me, Pastor Joe, you wore a tie today. Did you do that for Christmas? Actually, we have a wedding in two hours, so I thought I'd wear the tie for the wedding. I want to look good for the wedding. But sometimes we're so concerned about how we look on the outside and how we do religious activities the real thing that God is looking for is for us to give our hearts to him. God wants us to love him. The definition of love in God's terms is more than just warm affection or appreciation. It's not just saying, hey, God, that's pretty cool what you did for me. But it also means that we need to find out each day what it means to walk with the Lord and how to bring joy to his heart. Can you bring joy to the heart of the Lord? Yeah, scripture even says that God rejoices over us with shouts of joy that he rejoices over us when we delight in him. It also means, in God's case, that this means to obey him. And somebody's going to say, I knew he was going to bring that in. Can I tell you something? And this is really hard for us to understand. If I were to tell you right now, if you love me, you need to obey everything I tell you. How many of you would feel? Good. Then you need to be quiet. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so we say love you have to obey, right? If you love somebody, you have to obey. That's really important, okay? But if I told you you had to obey everything if you were going to love me, that would be pretty controlling, wouldn't it? So let me ask you a question. When God tells you to obey him, it's never controlling because God can't be selfish. 
God can't be selfish. As a matter of fact, when he tells you to obey him, everything he tells you to obey is the best possible thing for your life. And this is something that's missing in a lot of understanding about God today. People want to reduce the gospel down to a bunch of laws, and that's not what it's about. But on the other hand, if you love God, you're going to obey him because it's the best thing for God, for his kingdom, but it's also the best thing for you. It's the highest thing that you can do. We were created to love God. We were created to worship God. He gives us the choice to love him or not to love him. You can ignore him. You can say no to him. You can say, I love you, God, but you can do things your own way. How many of you found out that doesn't work out very well? Does it? Wesley Baines, in a blog article, God's desire for us is simpler than we think, says this. He says, consider your very ability to choose. In the beginning, God gave the first two humans the choice to be in relationship with him or not. That's pretty awesome. I want you to think how lavish God is. He gave Adam and Eve everything. He said, I give you everything on the planet, but I just want you to leave this one tree alone. What was God teaching them? He was trying to teach them that they couldn't be independent and be everything that they could be. They had to be in relationship with him, and he was God. That's what he was trying to teach them. Wesley goes on and says this, ultimately, and unfortunately for us, we choose self-rule rather than remaining within God's perfection. But the fact that we hold the ability to engage with God or reject him shows that he desires a real relationship with us. He didn't create humankind to be slaves with forced love and worship. And even when his wrath descends upon us, it's not abuse or petty vengeance. It's guidance that goes no further than necessary in order to keep us from harming ourselves in the long run. If you look at the world that we live in today, it's very interesting that many people have made the option of saying, I'm not going to love God. And they're living their lives by their own script, and everybody is doing, as the Bible says, there was one season in Israel's history where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And they're defining truth by what they think is right or wrong. That doesn't work out very well in society, does it? So God gives us good laws and commandments, this is Wesley going on, not to control us, but because he knows that following them will give us the best lives possible. This is why love doesn't mean permissiveness. Sometimes God loves, God's love looks like punishment. That doesn't mean that God wants us to constantly cower in fear of his hand. The Bible mentions fearing the Lord, but the Hebrew word that translates to fear doesn't mean to be afraid. It means to stand in awe of, and it carries the connotation of reverence, respect, and honor. He doesn't want our fear. He wants our love, and this is the beating heart of Christianity. So here's the bottom line. God wants a family. That's why he calls himself father. Some of us maybe had good experience with your father. Some maybe didn't. But you need to know that God is a perfect father. And he wants a family that is walking in the love that he's given us for one another. Let me close with this. This is John chapter 1 out of the New Living Translation. And I want you to listen to these words again. I know that many of you are familiar with them. John says, in the beginning, the word already existed, and the word was with God. If you read Genesis, this is what John is doing, is he's commenting on Genesis 1. Remember when it says, let us make God in our image? I just read a, I'm reading a book by a messianic rabbi, 
And in the book, he says, if we're really honest about the Hebrew in Genesis 1, there's a conversation going on between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the face of the waters. He said the Trinity is there from Genesis 1 all the way through. So there's this conversation going on. And we know that God is love, by the way, because there's always been love between Father, Son, and Spirit, even before mankind was created. It says the Word was with God, the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God said a man, John the Baptist, to tell us about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell us about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That same voice in Genesis 1 that speaks and says, let there be light, the very source of life, is the one who took on human flesh and became that child. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the amazing miracle. In verse 10, it says, he came into the very world he created. The creator became part of the creation, in other words. But the world did not recognize him. And even today, a lot of people, they think it's a myth. They don't recognize what really happened. But for those of us that have experienced the light of God, we know that our lives are so transformed and changed. I want to stop there and I want to say this. In a couple hours, Scribe and Stephanie are coming up. They'll be married here. I've got to tell you, as I look at their lives and the testimony of what's happened in their lives in the last two years, it's pretty hard not to believe in miracles to see what God has done in those two, to see where God took Scribe from being incarcerated a couple years ago to standing in front of 15,000 people this summer at the queue and sharing his story about getting victory over drugs. That only happens through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true. Verse 10 says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jews, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And this tells us why Jesus came. He came to reestablish the family that God designed from the very beginning of time. It's all about being part of this family. If you're here today and you're visiting and you're wondering why are they singing these songs and getting excited and some of these people are dancing and some of these people are shouting and raising their hands, it's because we've experienced the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not theoretical. It's not theological. It's something that we've experienced in our lives. It says he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. It's a spiritual birth. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So God gives us the choice. Will you hear his voice today? He's calling, and he's giving us a choice. If you're not part of his family, will you say, yes, Lord, I don't understand all this. I don't understand the theology. I don't understand the history, but I want to know. I want to experience this. Can we just take a moment and bow our heads? We're going to close in prayer in a moment. But I want to give you an opportunity 
if you're visiting today or maybe even if you've been attending this church and you've never really said, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want that new birth. I want to be born again. I want to receive everything you have. God gives us the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. And in the same words, we, we say it's salvation is free, and yet it's going to cost us everything. It means we need to give ourselves back to him. It's the beginning of a relationship. It's the beginning of a walk with him. And the Lord is calling today and saying, if you haven't made that choice, he wants you to be adopted into the family. So would you respond to him? I also want to, we're going to have a moment of prayer in a moment too. I know for a lot of people, the holidays can be a challenging time. It's often bittersweet because we have great memories and at the same time we remember those that maybe have gone on before us, people that have gone, uh, that have left the planet, so to speak, that have gone into heaven. Lord, we just ask you right now that you would touch our hearts and that you would bring your presence and your blessing and your healing, God, into our hearts in this moment. Lord, I pray that whatever condition we're in today, Lord, that you would draw us close to you. Some of us, I think, during the Christmas season get worn out. There's so much going on, and I just pray that you, Lord, would comfort us, that you would renew our strength, that you would draw us close to you, that you would stop everything from spinning around us, and that you would help us just to focus on you in this moment, and that you would give us your peace. And Lord, sometimes when there seems to be darkness around us, I just pray the light we talk about at Christmas, your light would just flood our hearts and minds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your loving kindness. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.